the hand in touch. I've coined this uh, title as the flip side of what people interested in economics, and sorry if that sounds a little too technical, don't let that scare you, but people interested in economics talk about another hand, the so-called invisible hand. The invisible hand is an expression coined by a man called Adam Smith, an Englishman, who did that in 1776. And uh, if you bear with me, this is a bit too intellectual language. But this is what... uh, To be fair to Adam Smith, this is what he said in in his work, The Wealth of Nations. He says, The economic agent intends only his own gain, and he is in this, as in many other cases, led by an invisible hand to promote an end which was not part of his intention. Then he clarifies that a little more. He says, by pursuing his own interests, this economic agent frequently promotes that of the society more effectually than when he really intends to promote it. In other words, in a nutshell, what Adam Smith is telling us, or was telling us, is that by pursuing our own self-interest, we benefit, or we tend to benefit, all others. At least, as he says, frequently. Now, we have to consider the time when Adam Smith said that. He, he said that at a time when the lives of people was embedded in a, in a deep ethical and religious culture. And so in, in some I would say that Adam Smith was recognizing that greed plays a role, but he wasn't surrendering to it. Which is very different from what we do today with the philosophy of the invisible hand. There are constantly voices that tell us in different ways that we need to trust the intemperate, the greedy hand of the rich and powerful to run the affairs of all. 
is exactly what all this uh, flurry of tax cuts, cuts in the current administration is about. It's the, Adam Smith's statement has become the credo of the free market. Let the hand run unchecked and we'll all benefit. The benefits, of course, trickling down a little more slowly to our level. Forget, forget that this is a crazy economic system which demands constant, relentless growth in in a world that is limited. I mean, it's an impossibility. Forget all the ravaging of the third world through the economics of globalization. It's not my intention to talk about economics today, but this is the way things have gone. What I want to do is see what this philosophy of the invisible hand is doing not just to the economy, but to our lives. What is doing, for instance, in promoting in each one of us a sense of alienation, a sense of, of disengaging, because anyway there'll be this invisible hand that takes care of it. All we have to do is be selfish. And that's it. That's the deep message that we're getting from our culture. And in doing that, it's not so much a question of selfishness not being helpful. It is much worse than that. It is that we foster disconnection. We disconnect. We disengage. Just a few weeks ago, in the New York Times, uh, these studies that they do, they found out that one-fourth of all adults in this country do not have a single person they can confide on. Obviously not even their partners, obviously not even the family, and certainly not their friends. Not a person we can confide on. Something wrong. And this what I'm taking to call the culture of the invisible hand, of disconnection from what we do, of uninvolvement, causes unhinging within ourselves as well. There seems to be little point to what we do or we do not do. 
for all we know, we might as well just be playing video games all day or playing the stock market, which is not very different from that. In this, what I've been calling the invisible hand culture, we lose totally track of intention, right? What we intend doesn't matter. We, therefore, we cultivate within ourselves an, a mindlessness, an unawareness of intention. And it is intention what connects our minds with the world. That's the connecting link. But no, we're supposed to just let this anonymous, invisible hand do whatever it does, whether it's picking our pockets in the area of economics, whether it's stealing our votes through this electronic voting in the area of politics. And, and this disconnection, disengagement, disinterest hurts our inner life grievously. We lose the continuity between inner and outer. That continuity that's mediated by intention. We lose, lose sight that there is even a continuity. We lose the awareness that, that my, my mind, your mind, are continuous with everything else that we do, we affect, that we love, or that we hate. Of course, I painted a caricature of a situation, but that's... Uh, easier way of uh, sort of conveying to you what's really upsetting. How can we turn this around? How do we move away from the mindlessness of what I've been calling the invisible hand philosophy to what's the title of this talk namely the hand in touch the Buddha has a a lovely parable in which he refers to this I think he gives us the solution. If I can find it. Yeah. And it's the parable of the acrobat and his apprentice. So let me read you from the scriptures and I'll make some comments as we go along perhaps. This is what the Buddha says. Once upon a time, an acrobat, having 
erected his bamboo pole, addressed his assistant, frying pan, that's a translation of the name of the assistant, addressed his assistant, frying pan, as follows. Come, my dear frying pan, climb up the bamboo pole and stand on my shoulders. As you say, master, replied frying pan, and climbing up the bamboo pole, stood on his master's shoulders. So then the acrobat said to his assistant, Now, you watch after my balance, my dear frying pan, and I look after your balance. With us thus looking after one another and protecting one another, we'll show off our craft, receive some payment, and come down safely from the bamboo when he had said that frying pan said to him no no master that will never do you must look after your balance and I will look after my balance with each of us looking after ourselves and protecting ourselves will show off our craft, receive some payment, and come down safely from the bamboo pole. Now this, here was the Buddha looking at these two acrobats, apprentice and acrobat, arguing, and the Buddha had to decide which was right. And the Buddha said, right after frying pan, spoke, that's the method there. It's just as frying pan said to the acrobat. Looking after oneself, one looks after others. But also, looking after others, one looks after oneself. How does one look after others by looking after oneself? Practicing mindfulness, developing it, making it grow. How does one look after oneself by looking after others? By patience, non-harming, loving kindness and caring. Protecting oneself, one protects others. Protecting others, one protects oneself. This is a mighty seminar teaching. And so I spend a little time going over it. See, because if we, if we don't look at it carefully, it might look as if the Buddha is saying the same thing Adam Smith was saying. A cursory reading might leave us with the impression that they're both saying the same thing. The Buddha says, protecting ourselves, we protect others. Adam Smith saying, pursuing our own interest, 
we promote the interest of others. But if we take a closer look, you'll see that the recommendations are radically different. The Buddha's emphasis is in being in direct contact with experience. That's why he supported frying pan, because the acrobat would only feel his own balance. He couldn't look after the balance of somebody else. And vice versa, frying pan could also look after his own balance, because that's a direct experience. Then, being mindful and attentive to what they feel, to the inner bodily sensations, technical word for this is proprioception, proprioception, you know, whatever. Feeling our own bodily sensations, then we can, we can help the situation. So, sure, mindfulness has to be with ourselves through whatever we experience directly. Of course. But what Adam Smith says is very different, or at least in the way we interpret it in this current culture. He says, let your own greed run the show and become oblivious to everything else, disconnected from everything else. While the champions of the invisible hand advocate disconnection, the parable of the acrobat highlights awareness, and not just of the balancing act, not just of the balancing act, but also of intention. Remember the frying pan, and then the Buddha repeats that, it says, with each of us looking after ourselves and, sorry, yeah, with each of us looking after ourselves and protecting ourselves, we'll show off our craft receive some payment, and come down safely from the bamboo pole. So there's three intentions, and it's very nice that they're very clearly stated. To, to put on a good show. Yeah, lovely. Beautiful intention. To receive some payment. Of course, why not? By the way, this is what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to do a good show, and I, I do. I'd love to get some dana, yeah. <laughs> some donations. <laughs> and come down safely from the bamboo pole. Sure. I'd like to get home safely, too. You know, it's, it's very... But be clear on intention. That connects us with what we are doing. I know... What do I do? I know what moves me to do it, what motivates me to do it. 
Intention, I repeat, is the way we establish a two-way dialogue with life. It's no wonder that the Buddha has emphasized right intention so, so many times, including, you know, the, there's a list of the eight important things in the practice. One of them is right or appropriate intention. So, while the invisible hand philosophy would turn us into automatons led by greed, the hand-in-touch philosophy grounds our actions in appropriate intention, essentially. Our time together here this weekend offers a, a number of opportunities to come to be in touch with right or appropriate intention in a variety of areas. And, and five of those areas are spelled out very clearly by what some of you may be familiar with. They're called the five precepts. Traditionally, in retreats like this, these precepts are listed, and participants I ask to follow these precepts. Let me just take a moment to share these precepts with you and reflect on what they have to do with intention. The first precept is not killing, and of course it's primarily not killing animals, including little bugs that may pester us here and there. And uh, the precept of not killing has uh, a lot to do with the well-being of the animals, but very primarily has to do with the well-being of ourselves. The moment we kill an animal, we contaminate our mind as well. We liquidate the animal, but we contaminate our mind. I can't resist sharing here a little story that actually concerns uh, Cecilia's brother when he was young. (laughs) He was visiting us. He was much younger. I mean, he was maybe 10 at the time, whatever. He was visiting us, uh, Raquel and me in Rhinebeck, and uh, um, he was used to killing bugs. So in the house, he killed bugs, and I explained to him that uh, it's better not to kill them, that the bugs were my friends. And uh, so, somehow that uh, made... uh, an impact on Manuel. And so, later on, Manuel and others in the family and Raquel went to town and they were in a shop and the shopkeeper was about to smash a mosquito. And Manuel said, 
don't, don't, don't kill it, it's my friend. The poor woman was shocked and was paralyzed then. The mosquito was spared. So, you know, the, it's important that this seed was planted in Manuel's mind. I'm sure he's since killed a lot of bugs too, but I'm not saying it's perfect. But he learned the possibility of befriending a mosquito. Second uh, uh, precept, not stealing, not taking, which is not freely given. Sure enough, you have opportunity to practice this precept here and anywhere else, of course, day in and day out. Another precept, right speech, to say proper things, not to lie. In the context of this retreat, right speech is largely not speaking, deeply listening to others, and hopefully to me as well, um, except uh, at times when it's appropriate to speak. Um, another precept has to do with sexual misconduct. And in the context of a retreat like this, it's the, the appropriate thing, just like it's appropriate not to speak, it's appropriate not to have sexual activities during the retreat. It just uh, helps you, yourself, be in a tranquil space, connected with yourself as you need to. Not in any way implying that it's wrong to speak in other times or that it's wrong to have sexual activity at other times. And finally, the last uh, precept is not taking any intoxicants during the retreat. Please abide by that. I'm sure it's possible. But again, well, all these precepts have to do with a social conviviality, living together in this situation, the, the main aspect of the precepts is what the practice does to us. And that has been very, very clear since the Buddha's times. You know, um, here is Sariputra, one of the Buddha's main disciples, and he goes down the list of precepts, and I'm going to repeat all that he says. It's very appropriate, but it's the same thing I've said, only in a more precise and perhaps a little convoluted language. But after he lists, uh, uh, you know, the precept of not killing, not stealing, not having sexual misconduct, he says, such conduct that killing, 
stealing, etc. Such conduct causes unwholesome states to increase and wholesome states to diminish in one who cultivates it. So it's very clear that the problem has to do with the states that this misbehavior creates in the misbehaving person. All of this then, the, that I've shared with you, the parable of the acrobat, the thread of intention, the practice of the five precepts, the symbolism of the hand in touch, highlights the fact that mind and world are a continuum that there's no discontinuity. The mind is intertwined with what we do. This is true in so many circumstances. So many aspects of our lives illuminate this central fact. both stressful circumstances and joyful circumstances. Take, for instance, what's called post-traumatic stress syndrome. Then you have it. The battlefield is totally continuous with the mind. And the post-traumatic stress syndrome shows that Continuity. And take, take a, a, a joyful aspect of that continuity. How people who work, say, for the good of others, for peace and justice, this work is of one piece with the practice of love that we learn firsthand whenever we have opportunity to love another person, a pet, whoever, whatever. Talking about first-hand, I like to try with you how to practice this business of the hand in love, in, in touch. Just see how this almost apparently theoretically hand-in-touch I've been talking about can be embodied in our own hands. So, for this final segment of this talk, let us give 
literally touching hand a try. So let's uh, sit as if in meditation, feeling comfortable. can certainly sit in the chair wherever it's uh, right for you, no problem. Close your eyes, placing the hands uh, somewhere on, on your knees or legs, it doesn't matter too much. Setting, settling down. Coming in touch with your hands. Feeling the temperature, their contact with whatever they're touching. Whatever sensations, vibrations, whatever pulsings, whatever appears there. Becoming mindful of the hands. And now, initially in your mind, consider the possibility of joining your hands, of letting your hands touch, or at least one hand touch the other, whichever way it feels appropriate. Just, just consider the intention and stay with the intention. Just just what it's like to be with the intention of doing something. Not doing it, just exploring whether the intention is there. What is this dialogue between hands and minds about intention to join hands, uh, join to your two hands? And now if you feel ready, explore the results of your intention. If your intention is to touch your hands, just try it. Just move your hands and touch them whichever way it feels right. Being totally present with that touch of hand so that
So there's communication between the hands there. So, that's uh, the first part of the experience. So let's uh, put the hands back on the knees or, or legs or wherever it feels appropriate. Feeling whatever reverberations there are, if any, maybe none of uh, then touch your hands. And now consider the next possibility, which is to touch somebody else's hands. Obviously, you have to prepare yourself innerly for that. Again, feel whether this feels appropriate for you. whether this, this is a real intention, a deep intention, a superficial intention, whether it's something that you intend to do or not intend to do. And having so I've become aware of, at least somewhat aware of your intention. If your intention is to connect with somebody else, open your eyes and look to both sides or to one side and see if the other person has also opened their eyes. If they haven't, then they're not available. If they have, they might uh, be available to touch hands with you. Just explore how that is. And don't do anything that doesn't feel right, you know. It's, it's important enough just to be willing to consider that. Just to be willing to consider it. Not to be hurt if the other person doesn't move. But uh, explore. What is it like? Recognizing that it's not uh, just easy. This is important to recognize that this is not just a 
ceremonial sort of thing. But we are, we are exploring. What is it like to open up to somebody else? So please feel free to do so if uh, there's a, an available partner. And you can join both hands or just one hand or uh, whatever, whatever you are moved to do. And to do it largely, I think afterwards with the eyes closed too, so that uh, the emphasis is in the touching of hands. And this way of communication that is uh, rare, except for people who are very close to each other. Yeah, very appropriate to move around if you wish to. And of course, if the person is has closed their eyes completely, means they, they're not uh, ready. There's nothing wrong with that. It's uh, being true to oneself. It's so important. Being true to oneself and then explore, being sure. And throughout the exercise, then remembering that the only way we can con truly connect with somebody else is by, at the same time, connecting with ourselves. And that's why this exercise is so difficult. It's, it's high stakes. And I, I'm deeply touched by... Uh, considering this, whether by deciding to touch or not to touch. So, thank you all very much. Well, uh, now I'll ring the gong and we'll sit for a minute or two. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.